Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Hey, everybody. It is Thanksgiving week. That means lots of turkey, lots of family time. And for me, it just means normal working. But uh, <laughs> I do love Thanksgiving because I, as those of you that know my story and everything, have so much to be thankful in ways that I never imagined before. Um, it's, it's an absolutely awesome time. There is something, too, that uh, I wanted to bring up before we dive in today's topic because it's a really important one. We just got done with an acquisition, and we're going over what uh, what you need to look out for when buying or building different uh, different uh, bullet point items. One of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to create these resources. So like if you go to the site right now, selfstorageincome.com, you can get our uh, uh, different lists and things that we're allowing. You, you just download and it sends it to you. This is one of the ones that we're trying to do, like a checklist for acquisitions, what I would call like uh, skeletons in the closet or red flags, like things that you got to look for that will gotta help you fill. Got to know. Um, so if you go on there, jump on there, um, and uh, um, we'll, we'll get this stuff out to you, and we'll, and we'll keep trying to deliver this. You put your email in. That gives you contact. We're building the site out. As of right now, there's not a ton on there, but I did also want to mention those of you that leave a review for our podcast, give us a five-star review. Make an awesome comment on there. We appreciate it. Take a picture of it. Shoot it in. Uh, then send us an email on the site with the picture. And we would be happy to, to have a 15-minute call with you. If you're going to do that for us, we're happy to have a 15-minute call with you to talk about everything storage-related, how to take your facility to the next level, how to find it. Shoot me over a deal. I'm happy to take 15 minutes and walk uh, through it. Anything we can do to help you. We want to support our community. We're happy you guys are supporting us. Um, this is what we do, right? This is this is important. And the self-storage world is changing fast you know, opportunity is created from a uh, community. And that's why a lot of these things like store local, all these things we talk about, it's becoming important in ways that it has never become or been before. And today's topic, this checklist, some of those things, they're, they're directly involved because as markets, and we're all seeing this, I, um, I in fact, I posted on my um, personal Facebook, which is AJ Osborne. I also have the cash letter, uh, freedom and self-storage. But if you go to self-storage income, I can post it on there. These news articles, one came back that they're now projecting some lower rates and you know tighter markets in some of the major markets. Um, and this is a common theme. We're seeing Wall Street Journal's reporting it, REI's reporting it. All these different publications and real estate um, companies are, are reporting it. It To me, it does not mean that opportunity is gone. And I don't want anybody to think that because remember, stor storage is hyper-local. And so you could have a city that is absolutely over. Like a perfect example of this is take like the 
Treasure Valley, which is a huge area that we live in, or take Houston, Texas. So Boise or Houston, Texas, and there's obviously so many markets that are overbuilt right now, but you can have those cities maybe overbuilt, but you may be literally two miles out of the way in a suburb where it's either hard to build or something's going on, and there's fantastic opportunity there. Um, so you you need to be hyper sensitive, though, to deals that you're making. For me, when you're at the top of the cycle, money's cheap, there's opportunity, and lots of people chasing it. Um, it just means that the markets are less tolerant. So there's less room for error today, because there's more people that are willing to take a take a piece of your pie. That's one of the main reasons we think this podcast is important. That's why we're trying to come together with other people. Um, you know, we have a deal that we're looking at a development deal that came from this podcast, um, that may be a great deal because we have to look at alternative ways to connect and find deals because it's not like it used to be. It's, it's harder. And, uh, for us, we hope that, you know, we can pass on some of this information. So when you guys do deals, you're doing better deals, you're building better projects, you're buying the last thing, you know, self-storage is one of those markets that is like, you know, a tide rises all ships competition isn't bad bad competition is and uh, you know you have people that will come to a market and they just build and they do no market studies they don't have a competitive advantage and it just lowers the rates for everybody but then too you have markets that are totally healthy lots of people are building in they're growing markets and it's totally fine so we we really hope we can help you guys out with that with that being said let's jump on to today's topic as always we have connor here that was like a really long intro it was a great intro dude it was a <laughs> lot of really good info so, getting so, people geared up the podcast was the intro <laughs> it was good it was good yeah no, happy to be here man this is going to be a good topic excited to go over some of this stuff because uh, it can really make or break something. You know, if you don't, if you're going to buy something and you don't do the proper due diligence and look at all these things and take into account everything that needs to be, I mean, that could be a deal breaker. And you could end up in a really, really bad situation. You know, in, in, too, in all transparency for you guys, when, you may be thinking, like, you know, what's our content plan and stuff? Most of the time, so like this subject, our content plan is when we have like, let's say a crisis that comes up or we have a huge opportunity or whatnot, we sit down and we say, we need to tell people about this. This is important. And it's a great opportunity for us to get the content out immediately and for people to see what we're dealing with and maybe some problems we face. So this list that we have of what to look for, well, most of the list came from problems that we faced um, in the past and one that we've been dealing with today. And so we're like, this is really important. We got to talk about this. <laughs> Let's get it. So it's oh, awesome. You know, I think when you're looking at acquisitions or building, um, there's two separate sides to it. I think today we want to focus more on the acquisition side. So when, when you're buying a facility, all the things you need to look at and look out for. Um, and there's a whole array of things that um, may come up. And I know a lot of people are like, well, that's okay because my broker is the best broker in the world. That doesn't matter. Um, our, our broker that we have is a personal friend of mine and he is probably the foremost expert in, I feel the Northwest on, um, bringing storage deals to the table. He never, he walks away from so many deals, barely brings any deals to the table. They're good deals, knows everything about them. With that said though, we 
always find the skeletons, and there always are. Some are really big and not, and it's not because of him. Uh, they're just things that you can't avoid. So we want to talk. You have to know what to look for, and you have to understand these things because you can't expect a seller or a broker to bring them to your attention. Exactly. You got to be driving. Yep, 100%. So I think the first thing we want to hit hit on is probably the biggest one. We're just going to go dive straight into it. Employees. It's huge. Eh, huge. Um, out of all our facilities, which, I don't know, 18, 20, that we've bought, some we've sold, I mean, like that, I, we've only ever kept two, uh, I think, two managers ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the reason being is it's not complicated. It's we are buying underperforming assets and we're turning them around. Well, lots of times you have employees that were used to doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Underperforming. Yeah, underperforming. <laughs> and they like it that way. Right. And um, we have very low tolerance for that. Now, we are not slave drivers, anything else like that, but we expect them to look at uniform, show up to work. And I know this is crazy. But work. And uh, um, some of these managers, that's outside their job description. Work. That's, that's what's outside. Um, and they get weird contracts. And I want to talk about why this happens. So lots of the facilities around the nation, and especially when you get into outside second tier and third tier markets, um, the managers have all control. And I see this most with out-of-state out brokers. Um, out of state brokers, like we, we get this a lot in the Northwest and Intermountain West from California buyers where their money will go farther somewhere else. They come in, they buy, and they basically give the manager free reign. And so the manager gets to do everything and they have all power. They know what's going on and the investors and maybe the operator, they see what the manager wants them to see. Um, lots of times these managers, what happens is this is also their home. They live on site and that can cause problems like they do, they live their life. And if somebody shows up to the facility, they work. And then once they go, they don't. Um, and most of the facilities we'd buy, I'd say 60%. That's how it was. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the other ones, it wasn't like that just because they didn't have on-site living. Um, most of those we changed and got rid of on-site li living. There's pros and cons to it. That's a whole other podcast we'll save for another day. Well, that's um, exactly the situation we were talking about today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. They, they're living in the facility, yep. and um, we went. We did a walkthrough. And, and, and this is another thing, I guess. A lot of people are like, well, this is all stuff you can find out. You know, you go right, in, right, right. Yeah, go walk through. The brokers did. We did. We went. We met them. We interviewed them. We walked around the site. We, you know, we did our due diligence. Multiple people from our organization, as well as a broker who's proficient in the asset class. And um, the employees walked us through. They showed us how the operations work. She said, every morning I get up and I work hard. All this stuff, right? Um, well, it comes to find out that she actually wasn't working hardly at all. No, not at all. Um, and they were very open. Mm -hmm. about that and her husband was the one working which her husband we didn't even understand he was working in the office at all we thought he did some side maintenance stuff he was doing everything and it, um what happens is he had a side gig and he's running in the facility fixing up different things and cars for somebody and when an employee would come in he'd go meet them in the off or not employee when a maybe a tenant or a potential tenant would come in right. he'd go meet them in the office 
then he'd leave and go back to doing what he was doing. None of that was disclosed. And even worse than that, they were in an employment contract, which basically said they're guaranteed 40 hours a week. Um, and they're guaranteed free housing, all these things. And the, you had, what was it? A 60 day cancellation. Like nothing can be changed and nothing oh, can be really? terminated in the contract without a 60 day notice or whatnot. And all of a sudden wow. you, you find all these things out as you're going through and you're going, well, we thought we had managers in place and employments in place for this facility. And it looks like that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a phone call with them and they're like, we're not, I mean, they're very open. We're not really interested in working. Well, then even if it is the case, you've got this bad taste in your mouth that things weren't disclosed, things weren't up yeah. front. And, you know, again, it just the facility isn't being ran like a business, exactly yes. like what we need yes. it to be ran and operated like. So, um, yeah. It makes it tough for those employees to continue in a for new sure. way because it, it, it's so different when you're, and you said it perfectly, when you're operating a business. Um, so I think the first thing you need to understand when you're buying a facility is when you meet that employee, almost always they seem awesome. We've met employees and you walk in and, you know, they're there to wow you. They know you're the new owner. They're going to tell you everything in the world. Most of the time it's not nearly as rosy. Um, and if you're buying a turnaround facility, I see lots of times that employee saying, oh, I wish, you know, this facility wouldn't be like this, but the owners won't let me do things, right? That's never the case. It's never been the case of any facility we've ever bought. Um, So you need to attribute responsibility on to those people. And if they do work out, I usually find they're awesome. In fact, the two that did work out, we promoted up. Yeah. um, Because they're rock stars. Uh, That they are, man. Yep. But the other ones, um, when you go in and you're looking at the acquisition, in the interviews, be very specific. Understand the situation. And if they don't tell you the truth, that's on them. But make sure you dive deep into the arrangements with living conditions, leases. Um, You need to understand the employment contracts, what it specifies, what it says you can do and cannot do. Um, It can be a management burden and overcome. Um, Most of the times we... We have a exit period, which is general a month or two. The employee leaves, and we fill them in with a new employee, which is trained in our way to do things. Um, and this typically r- runs into other things. So this this then feeds into things like, which would be like free units. So um, there's two sides that you need to know. We've seen both of them. And I'm going to tell one horse story because it shocked me. I couldn't even believe this happened. Um, <laughs> but... Units, because you get a unit report and there's an occupancy, um, that doesn't really mean that that's what's happening. Mm, <laughs> so, right, right. You know, let me explain. Um, this, for example, um, the facility may be 95% occupied, but little did you know they're giving away 15 units for free. Some of those units they may even have a contract with um, friends, families, um, employees. We've bought it, we've taken them over and the employee had six units, 10 by 10s that they just take to do whatever they want with it. Um, obviously, this is how you make money. This is massive problem. Um, it's there's no difference than someone just taking product out of the store. It's the same thing. Um, uh, two, another thing you get is you get ghost units. Ghost units are very, very common. And ghost units are these units that you can't really figure out what's going on. 
And the reason you can't figure out what's going on is because they never rent, but yet they're locked. And uh, we see this a lot because what happens is the manager is renting them on the side and they're pocketing the cash from the renters. This is actually quite common. We've seen this in multiple of our facilities, multiple facilities that we went to buy and, and did it up for one reason or another. We knew that it was going on in a major way. The owners are out of state. They have no idea um, to them. They're just at 88% occupied when actually they're 96% occupied, but that difference is going into the manager's pocket in cash. Mm-hmm. Um, a perfect example or a perfect key to, to find this is like the one that we brought up north when the manager pulls into the storage facility and her car is nicer than yours. That's usually a red flag. I feel like, what the heck? Um, and that was the case. We pulled up and uh, we were shocked and she told us how amazing she was, everything like that, after she left and we didn't um, obviously uh, keep that employment situation going on. Uh, we started uncovering lots of people coming in because we overlocked all the units that didn't record. So you have to audit it. So we look and say, this unit isn't rented. There's a lock on it. We overlocked it. And we would have people come in to give us cash and say, oh, where's so-and-so? I'm here to make my payment. <laughs> and I go, No, no, I need to pay you. her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no lease. There's no anything. This is obviously big liabilities. Um, no, so crazy. yeah. Got to look out for those. Another thing you need to look for in the transition when you're buying um, facilities is authority. Social media um, and web authority. This is really important in today's age. Um, and it can be a mess dealing with getting rid of those accounts and claiming them as yours. And you have to figure out, too, how is the name working? So the brand transition, right? Did they say... Day one, you can't use my brand, and they shut off everything. The website, they shut off social media, they shut off their numbers, all of it. Like You need to make sure that you have in an agreement how that transition period will work and how this IP, this intellectual property, will be transisted to them, to you, and that you don't get left with a facility that has no name and no number and no website. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens a right. lot. So those are things that you need to make sure you're aware of. Uh, another thing is that our transferable debts, this is one that you need to work with your uh, attorneys and accountants. But listen, you do an asset purchase. You don't want to ever trans have the debts transferred on to you. You let them keep all liabilities. And I'm talking lawsuits, things like that, that you don't even know because they're not telling you. You buy the assets, right? You pull the assets out and you leave the LLC and everything um, with the former owner, so those liabilities stay with them. Now, the next thing I want to just touch on real quick, which, once again, we're going to try to make a a big compiled list of this so you can go to the site and get it, but um, new build. This is one of the most important things. Lots of times people will be selling their asset because they know that a huge facility is coming in right next door to them, and they don't want to disclose that. So they sell it, and then you buy it. Six months later, you have tractors on a field next to you, and they're building a 200,000-square-foot facility. You need to work very close with the city. Um, the I even like to work with, um, you know, you have SSA and ISSS, ISS, the uh, Inside Self-Storage and the Self-Storage Association. They normally have local chapters. Those people know what's going on. 
and pull permits, building permits, see what the land zoned. Is it zoned light industrial? Is storage approved in those areas? Who owns the land? What's going on? Make sure in your three-mile radius, you're very, very aware of what's happening um, because you want to understand the motives of the seller. That's really important. Um, and then your CapEx. This is a big one. Um, you know, there was a facility that we turned away from. And uh, so i got to make sure I don't want to say too much, but there's a facility. <laughs> and this is capital expenditure, by the way. Yes, CapEx, capital expenditures. Yep. So broken things, things you have to put money into it. Um, we walked away from a deal. We live in the Northwest. There's lots of trees in Idaho, Washington, Oregon. We have huge lumber mills because we have big forests. And a facility that we walked away from sat on top of a the sawdust from a lumber mill. It was built on top of it. And when we, it was visibly, buildings were starting to crack. There was a hole being drilled to see and test while we were there. They said it was no problem, not to worry about it. They had issue that we kept bringing it up. Um, when you looked back at the plan, there was like 10 feet of sawdust this was, this was built on. Sawdust gets Crazy. wet. You had, so you had water going down holes in the facility, and you couldn't ever see where the water came out. Dang. So it was just seeping up and, and easing. So, which, once again, it's not that it's a deal killer, but I got to know if that's going to cost me a million or 250000 I got to put that into my numbers and everything else like that. They didn't want to even have the discussion. So we had to walk away from the deal. Um, that deal was later sold, um, and the new owners were never told about the sawdust. Hmm. So you need to make sure in your phase studies – you look back at the building, you need to see, okay, what liability there may be that would cause capital expenditures. Is there rot, right? Is there wood rot? Is it made from wood or metal? Um, are these buildings broken down? And then you need to get a bid before, uh, during your due diligence to say, what is it going to cost me to fix all of these things in the facility? I am not at all saying if there's a large capex, walk away. No, we we bought facilities and torn 50% of it down to the ground. Um, there can be great opportunity there. But uh, you just have to know. You have to calculate for it. Yeah. You can't go in blind and not know about it. And then It's a make or break. Yeah. yeah absolute make or break. For sure. And a lot of the stuff, I mean, you would think would just be stuff that is disclosed up front and everything else. But a lot of times that's not the case. It is not the like case. Like what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And um, it ends up, yeah, can make or break something for sure. Um, and two, lots of times you have to understand they may not have to disclose it. Right. It's not that right. they're even being shady. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you. Though. Right. So um, make sure you dig deep in that and figure it out. We know is there cement problems? Uh, on and on and on and on. What water issue is a huge one. So your water mm -hmm. mitigation. What happens? Snow plow. Like how does this all work? Right. right? And how much is this going to cost? Um, we have facilities that they don't want to embed the cost of snow removal. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, once again, we, you have Idaho, to. <laughs> Nevada. Yeah. This is a big cost, a big deal. Right. Um, so make sure you watch out for that. Uh, another thing when you're when you're buying a facility to look out for performas. You know, if you've if you if you've been listening to our podcast, <laughs> you know how I feel about performas. Huge fans. Yeah. Huge fans. Yep. <laughs> uh, performers are crap. Don't look at them. They don't matter. Um, so look out for numbers and watch. And try to make sure you're auditing the units. 
walk the facility, audit occupancy unit numbers, and uh, look at locks, see which ones are open or which are not. Make sure you're getting a good idea of the reality of the financial position you're in. Um, refunds, deposits, this is important, right? Do you have a lot of people moving out? What are the deposits there? What are the refunds that are, uh, that are needed to be made? And then there's a final one that we're going to have here before we wrap up. Um, and two, there's more we can go into, and we'll build this list out, but there's, we're just hitting on some main ones. The city's master plan, traffic changes. This, once again, can be a deal breaker. Make sure you understand what the city's master plan is. Make sure they're not going to divert traffic away from your facility. Something that maybe the owner knows that you don't, they're selling to get away from, that could have big impacts on your facility. Understand what the city's master plan is for that area, right? Is this area going to be turned into an industrial wasteland or is there regenerating uh, this area and it's going to be just you know off the hook? Uh, look and work with them to figure out what's coming in, um, how traffic is going to be affected on your facility, access, all those kind of things. They, it makes a huge, huge difference for you. All you're doing is the more information you can accumulate, the more risk you're limiting 100%. and the more accurate, accurate your numbers are. And that's really what you're trying to do here. You're right. trying to get not, it's not that we're trying to even project. We're just trying to get the reality of the situation so we can understand the cost, the opportunities and um, the risk associated with it. Cause a risk is only a risk to me if I don't know about it. Exactly. Exactly. So. No, it's so true. And, and in my experience, cities are extremely easy to work with. They're, more than happy to give you the information that they're allowed to give you and provide to you and all that stuff, including their vision and what's going on, what's been approved and so forth. So talk to those cities for sure. Absolutely. Okay, guys, remember, go to our site. This is a quick one. It's Thanksgiving week. Um, have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. We all have so much to be grateful, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.